0: Uh, this week and in this series, we're working, through, uh, working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible you want to follow along, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a letter written by Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth who was struggling as new believers to adjust their lives to living for Jesus rather than living like the culture that they uh, found themselves in. The culture that they lived in uh, was pretty perverse, pretty immoral, a lot of excess. And so uh, it was a challenge because in being called to follow Christ, they had put their trust in Jesus and had uh, received salvation from God and become believers. Now there's the challenge of the transformation that's supposed to happen in our lives as we follow and listen to the Holy Spirit and live for Him. Right? And live for, for God. And so, um, as Christians, we're called to live according to Jesus' culture. And that stands in stark contrast to the world that we live in. The culture in Corinth has some similarities to the culture that we live in. And so, hopefully, um, you'll find some encouragement in this, uh, in this book. It can be challenging. This week, you might be challenged a little bit with the content of... Um, It it may be some things you've never heard before, may rub on or hit on some topics that might be a little touchy. And so I just want to warn you up front, um, do not shoot the messenger, okay? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's God's word. Now, I want us to have the right posture towards God's word. A lot of times in our culture, we're skeptical. We're, We're taught to question what God's word says. And I'm going to tell you that's the wrong posture to have because God is the one who loves you. He created you. He died to pay for your sins so you could be saved. So he has all the skin in the game on you and your life and your eternal position. He wants you to get the most out of this right, uh, this life. He doesn't want you to be hurt. And so the truth is we also have an enemy who seeks to counter everything that God says and to lead us in the wrong direction, right? And so when we hear God's word, we want to sit in a posture where we're willing to listen. This week, the topic in part has to do with marriage. And so the big idea for this week, chapter 7, how to succeed in marriage, And there's some insights, some guidelines, some instructions here that can help all of us. Now, sometimes the hardest part, right, in life is admitting we need help. Uh, there was a couple that came in for, uh, they wanted to get married, so they came in to see the pastor. Pastor, we want to get married, would you marry us? Perform the ceremony, and the pastor said, well, we do some premarital counseling because we want to set you up for success and we want to give you some insight. And they said, oh, no, Pastor, we don't need any counseling. We've both been married several times. <laughs> okay. I'm not beating you up. Please have a sense of humor. Let's laugh at ourselves. Sometimes that's how we are, though. We go, no, no, I, I've got this figured out, but I've, I'm not succeeding, right? And uh, part of what we need to know in this room and in the church and when we sit under God's word, again, God is for your marriage. There's some guidelines in marriage, and yeah, the Bible speaks, and we'll touch on some of those today. And uh, depending on where you're at, you may feel like, oh, man, I've already done that, though. Like, I've already stepped in that direction, so what about me? And I just want you to know that I really believe this. Not everybody agrees with me, Um, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. But I really believe that your marriage is ordained by God. The marriage you're in is the marriage you're supposed to work on, and that God wants that marriage, this marriage, to succeed. Maybe it's your second marriage. Maybe it's, maybe um, you say, well, this marriage didn't come about right. We had an affair. And is God really for us? Look, all I know is God's the only one that ordains marriages. No one else ordains marriages. So I believe you need to work on the marriage you're in and that you need to believe that God has you in this marriage and that he wants you to grow and thrive and succeed at it, okay? And so God's instructions are always going to be to help you succeed. He's always going to push you in that direction, Do you want to win at following Jesus? Do you want to win in this life according to the parameters and guidelines that God gives us? None of us have walked down the road of perfection. All of us need to make some correction in our lives, deal with the past in some way. And this message might bring up some of that, but I want to encourage us, To have a winning posture when it comes to our faith. The Apostle Paul in this book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to hit um, in one of these chapters where he uh, he, um, references or relates the Christian life to um, an athlete or being an athlete. And running to win, right? And so that's going to be part of what we want to do. And especially, I want to encourage you with that this morning. A winning mindset says, let's find out. And I would even add, let's find out how, okay? A losing mindset says nobody knows. So if you find yourself in a spot that says nobody understands where I'm at, nobody understands my position, God, nobody knows what I'm going through, I don't really think that's true. And that's certainly not a mindset that's going to help you win. It'd be better to say, let me find out how this is supposed to work. Um, and so this can be difficult, a little touchy, but hopefully I've set this up. You're ready, okay? You might get your toes stepped on again. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm going to preach what God's word says. We all need to hear it, right? And so whatever situation you're in, uh, receive it. Let God speak to you through it. It's important. Um, our culture tries to encourage us in the direction of happiness. Do what feels good. Um, yeah, you know, that, that's the experience. And uh, um, if, you're, um, you know, if you're not happy, then find out how to be happy. And, of course, in America, we have... Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's in our DNA, man. It's uh, what our country's about. Jesus' culture does not live according to those values, okay? That's not God's will for your life. Uh, I would challenge you that God is not primarily interested in you being happy, though happiness comes as a result of obedience, but God is primarily interested in your holiness, your character. Are you growing as a follower of Jesus, and that takes some intentionality and some effort, and it also takes a shift in mindset from, I should be happy, primarily, to, I need to be growing, okay? And those are two different things, and so you'll be challenged in that, and we always are. Um, Part of the reason that happiness can't be our primary value is that that kind of breeds selfishness, and selfishness really doesn't result in contentment, okay? Okay? selfishness leads to more discontentment. And so there are some lies that we're tempted to believe and we never figure out this isn't working, right? I'm, keep, I'm keep trying this thing, it's not working. You know, that's the definition of insanity, right? Trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results no, man, maybe it's time to try something different. And so I want to give you some different ideas than maybe you've heard in the world, in the culture we live in. And that is, as we start off this uh, chapter, there's some instructions towards our sex lives. And and the instruction here is that celibacy is for singleness and sex and sexual intimacy is for marriage. Follow along as we read the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter... Remember, if you've been here, I've referenced the fact that there's another letter, and possibly a letter to the Corinthians by the Apostle Paul, but this reference is a letter they've written to him, asking some questions. And so he responding to their questions. This is his first answer. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. It's good. It's good to abstain. Uh, let that sink in for a minute. Maybe you haven't thought of that. Maybe that's not in your mindset that would ever be good for you to abstain, to say no, to resist, right? That's actually good for your character. It's good for you. And the message here is going to continue on that if you're single, as I said, that is the position you're in. You're called to abstain. Is it difficult? Yeah. Is it going to be challenging? Yeah. Especially the world we live in, especially if you're a young person, it can be incredibly difficult. It can be one of the greatest challenges you face. And yet, remember, God is interested not primarily in you being happy and feeling good, He's interested in you growing the character that you need to succeed in life. And abstaining and saying no when you're a young person grows your character, it strengthens you. Um, some people don't think it's possible. I just want to tell you that it is possible. It is possible, and it's good. Okay, let's move on. Verse 2, he says, But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. Each woman should have her own husband. So because we have such an issue with this, there's so much sexual immorality, sleeping around, um, then you should get married. Because remember, celibacy is for singleness, but sexual intimacy is for marriage. And so get married. And he's encouraging them to do so, and I feel the same for the world we live in. Not very many people can do abstinence and celibacy very well. We have a lot of pressure on us, and so the encouragement is to get married. He goes on, husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Might seem kind of obvious that if marriage is the only place that you can have sexual intimacy, that It should be happening within your marriage. That is the context, right, where it's okay. And so the teaching in Scripture is that's where it should be happening and it should be happening. And maybe you didn't know that the Bible encouraged you to be sexually active, but it does. Just the opposite of what the world encourages you to do. Um, He goes on, he presses further. This might challenge you a little bit. Verse 4, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. What? And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. If that doesn't step on your toes, then you're not awake. If you're sleeping, that's all right. But uh, are you kidding me? (laughs) I got to give up authority of my... to. Hold on. Yeah, put the brakes on. (laughs) Let's sew this train down, pastor. (laughs) It's getting uncomfortable quick. Are you telling me that I have to give authority of my body to my spouse no, they're just going to take advantage of me. They're just going to use me. You don't understand. Um, I've been married a while. I do understand. Okay. I get it. This seems pretty extreme. Well, pastor, aren't there some exceptions? Aren't there times where? Sure. Um, We have have three children. So, yeah, uh, there, there are times. Can I just speak to you, though? Are you living with this attitude towards your marriage? Is this your attitude? I am going to meet my spouse's needs. That's why I'm in this marriage. It's part of God's command and calling for me to have a good attitude and to want to do that. So that I'm not resistant. I'm not hesitant. I'm not throwing a block in the way. But I'm trying to figure out how do I fulfill this calling that's important? This is a, an establishment of how marriage can be successful. Why is it that in our culture we joke around with the best form of birth control is a wedding dress? <laughs> Why do we joke around like that? Why does the world say, oh, if you want to stop having sex, then get married? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, we're, we're the followers of Jesus. We're, we're, God created marriage. We're the ones that are supposed to get it, exemplify it, lead the way. We should be talking to our non-Christian friends about how amazing marriage is, right? How awesome it is, how well it works. And yet, we struggle, right? We're sinful people. We have issues. We have struggles. We, we do. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, say that isn't a reality. It is. And yet, are we having a winning attitude, an approach to marriage that says, how am I supposed to do this? How do I figure out how to do it the way God says to do it? Again, um, it's not easy, but it's possible, okay? It's possible. And so the, the apostles given this direction, going so far as to say, yeah, I am so willing to participate. I understand my role, right? My calling before God, that it's as though my spouse has a say over what happens in this area. Now, can that be abused? Can it be misused? Yeah. And is that okay? No. And so there are other commands in scripture of how we're to live together, but we do need to have a posture to have an understanding of God's intention for marriage. Remember this, that the devil will do everything he can to get you to have sex before you get married and to keep you from having sex after you get married because he's gonna work the opposite of what we're supposed to do. And so our job as Christians As part of Jesus' culture is to listen to God, take our direction from him, and willingly try to figure out, how do I walk in this way? How do I gain and acquire this mindset? What do I need to do to have the right attitude and perspective towards my marriage? He goes on to say this, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. So you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So there's spiritual reasons to take a break and to stop and to say, hey, let's take a little bit, let's pray. Um, We're focusing in on God. It's a good thing. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so we want to have a posture that says, let me figure out how to do this. There's two difficult commands here. One is to be celibate, uh, to abstain before I get married. And our culture says, no, you should be doing it. Everybody's doing it. And youth culture says that, um, even though it's not true, everybody's not doing it. We're probably still under 50% of young people are sexually active, right? And yet everybody acts like they are, and there's a lot of social pressure. And so I can tell you as a young person, I grew up in this country, went to public school, um, I, a red-blooded American boy. Like, I had a commitment to abstain, to wait till I got married. That was challenged. Um, It was difficult. I do not have, um, I'm not saying I'm like squeaky clean in every way in that area. But I did abstain um, uh, from having, you know, sex until I got married. Now, when I got engaged, uh, it was even more difficult. Um, We were two Christian young people. And we loved Jesus. And we were growing. And we were coming together. And we wanted to get married. And we knew that's where it was going to go. We knew pretty quickly. And so it was two years that we uh, dated and were in college and so not easy. And I took some measures to ensure that we succeeded there. You got to have a plan and a strategy if you're going to succeed at what you're setting out to do. But I'm just telling my story not to say uh, I'm, I'm just trying to tell you this is possible. It's possible. You may not hear many examples of people that actually set out to do that and were able to do it. And so I just want to tell you it's possible. And uh, also people get concerned. Well, I get into a marriage. Is it going to work? Is it going to be enjoyable? Like, this is a big part of my life, and I don't want to get stuck in a marriage that that, that sex isn't working the way it's supposed to, right? And so, again, I just want to encourage you with this. Some of you think, Pastor, it's too much information. Sorry. Some people need to hear it. Some young people need to hear this today. I waited, okay, and there's a concern. If you wait, is it going to work? Is your wedding night going to be what it's supposed to be? Is this really, does God's way really work? I just want to tell you without going into any detail that my wedding night was amazing. Probably one of the best nights of my life, okay? Ask my wife. She's much more, I get embarrassed talking about it. She'll probably tell you more detail. I don't, if you're concerned, but I just want to tell you, things worked and it was great. I didn't miss out on anything, okay? I didn't miss out on anything. So I just want to encourage you with that. There's a young person here that's going, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if it works. It, it can, and God will honor your decision to honor him and to obey him. You will succeed at what you set out to succeed in. That's what you'll win at. Are you setting out to win at following God's instructions? See, the reason God says, wait, he doesn't want you to get hurt. And you know how many marriages that, that Mary and I try to help? And fortunately, God has grace and mercy. Forgiveness can bring healing. But listen, there's a lot of damage that has to be worked through when we don't follow these instructions. And so I want the best for you. I want the ideal for you. And so listen and consider these directions. They're important, they matter, they're for your own good. God wants the best for you. Really, the only way that I can see this working is if you have a growing, active relationship with Jesus. If you don't, then you're just trying to keep some rules. And keeping rules is almost impossible. It's incredibly difficult, it doesn't work very often, and Christianity can be reduced to a religion if that's what you make it. But what it's intended to be, is a relationship with God, where the spirit of God comes to dwell within you and empowers you to follow him, to obey him, to live for him. That's the only way this is possible, but it is possible. Okay, It can be done and God can empower you as you look to him. That's why we emphasize discipleship here at Mitchell-Brian, that you're learning how to do quiet times, how to spend time in God's word, how to memorize scripture. You're learning some habits and some skills that will allow you to grow. And allow God to speak into your life and bring transformation. That is, that is the aim of the Christian faith. Celibacy is for singleness. Sexual intimacy is for marriage. Part of the issue that we run into with fulfilling this, part of the reason we have issues inside of our marriages with intimacy, is that it's emotional. It gets tied to a lot of emotional things. And I don't know about you, but if you've been married more than a week, you can get hurt in your marriage. Your spouse will do something to offend you, to hurt you, and it stings. And if you don't deal with that, what happens is it builds up. And over time, it becomes a major blockage. And there's a lot of marriages that, that again, um, by the grace of God, there's healing. But a lot of the issues that I see in marriage are really related to that. Unforgiveness, not resolving things, not, not moving past issues. And so, um, so that's a big issue to us having real intimacy and love for each other. Um, we can grow to the point where the other person's the enemy and our spouse is the enemy and we have a lot of anger that is built up. And so we need to resolve that and be working on it. And in, our, um, in my pre-marriage counseling that we do, there is a chapter on that, how to deal with conflict and how to make sure that we are walking in forgiveness and not resentment. But we also have an issue in that the world teaches us models of the roles that men and women fill that are not helpful to our marriages, cause problems. Again, might step on your toes a little bit here, but this is what the Word of God preaches and teaches us, and it's right, is that as a woman, you may be a leader in your job. You may be a leader outside the home. But I, wanna, I, I just want to encourage you that inside the home, The roles are, according to God's design, that men are to be the leaders in the home. And women are to be supportive of their husbands, submissive to their leadership. There's a reason for that, because that provides an environment where intimacy can happen. And it's encouraged. It provides harmony in the home. And that's why men are called to be leaders. But in order to be a leader, man has to be respected and supported. He's not just gonna be able to lead if, if there isn't a, a willingness to follow and encourage that leadership. It can be discouraged pretty quickly and being a spiritual leader is incredibly difficult. And so um, this requires that, that women, you understand that that's the role God's called you to and you get good at it and you don't fight against it, but you willingly participate. Hey, this is the way God set up the home. This is what's gonna make it work. And so I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna to grow to understand that. And then women require... If they're going to be in a submissive role and they're going to follow your leadership, men, then you got to learn how to be a good leader and how to be emotionally sensitive and how to be understanding and gentle, not harsh, right? So there's requirements that we understand. This is all taught in Scripture, and following Jesus grows us in these character traits. But we do have to acknowledge that this is the way it should be. It's the way God intended it in our homes. We have a tendency in our culture to work from the extremes. We find the exceptions, and we want to make those the rule. That's postmodern culture, okay? What's the extreme? What's the exception? Well, that's how we're going to make the rules on. No, it doesn't work well. Um, The truth is that when we try that, it just leads us astray. And some of what that's meant to do is lead us astray. The truth is we need to acknowledge what God's word says, what his instructions for us are. Again, embracing that with a winning mentality. We want to be quick to obey God, to have a good attitude uh, towards what he says, no matter how difficult it may be. We do have issues and hurts and problems that need to be resolved. And I just, again, want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that spot, it's not hopeless. You're not stuck. Just don't say, nobody knows. God knows. He created you. These commands aren't given in here to beat you up, to make your life miserable. So you constantly feel guilty at, you know, not being able to live up to God's expectations. No. It's here to give us hope and life and direction. The next thing that we see in this passage is that um, celibacy is not for everyone. It is for you when you're single. That's the calling. But the second part of this passage, the next little section, encourages us that celibacy, long-term especially, is for those with the gift. Starting in verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. That's an important sentence, right? What comes next is Paul's opinion. It's good opinion. It's good wisdom, but it's his opinion. Verse 7. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. I thought if I was single, something was wrong with me. <laughs> I thought the church is all about everybody should be married, right? What is this? I don't know if you've seen this before. I try to encourage a lot of single people that there's a lot of uh, positives to being single. And it's actually pushed and promoted in the Bible. I don't know if you know this. In spite of what some people say, Jesus was single. So if it's a horrible position, then how come God walked in that way when he was here on earth? And Paul's single. Um, so I wish everyone was single just as I am. So it's not a bad thing to be single. He goes on, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So you got to have a gift. It's got to be a gift that God's given you to be able to walk in this way. And he recognizes it's not for everybody and not everybody can do it. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. One of my favorite verses in college. <clears throat> it's better to marry than to burn with lust, right? Uh, can I just tell you this? So again, here's some direction. Wisdom. Encouragement. If you're single, don't, don't be just uh, going crazy to get married. Um, I would encourage you to seek God's will and direction for your life. It could be that you're called to remain single. That's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with marriage. Marriage is great. The Bible encourages it. But Paul's talking to a church under a lot of pressure, right? Under a lot of pressure, under a lot of conflict, a lot of difficulty. And he's encouraging them. Man, don't just jump into that. Like, it, it, it may be the wrong direction for you. Have you sought God's direction for your life? What's his will for you? Um, and, and consider that first. And so he, um, he's given this direction and instruction regarding marriage. Um, Again, a lot of times we jump to conclusions and those aren't correct conclusions. I've talked to a lot of people, you know, young people that go, okay, I got to get married because I just, I have a real strong urge and drive and I can't, I can't seem to get under control and so I just got to get married and that's the way to solve the problem. And so we found a problem with that in our current culture is that um, pornography has really thrown a wrench in that. It's really caused problems for marriage alone being the solution to your lust issue, okay? Because I just want to be honest with you, it doesn't always solve the problem. If you think getting married is going to solve that problem, it's not going to, right? Because when you interact with pornography, again, more and more is coming out on this. There's trauma to our brains that occur, And there's a wiring in our brains towards what sex is supposed to do for us. And it's supposed to make us closer, more intimate with our spouse. That's why God says keep it in marriage. When we play with it outside, it can do other things. And it damages the way we view a relationship. And the way we're able to connect and bond within a marriage. And so we really have to take that seriously. Um, I, I don't think pornography and interaction with pornography is something to take lightly. Because it can do a lot of damage. And if you have over a period of time, I'm just going to tell you, you need to address it. Um, If you don't, and you think getting married is going to solve that, I've seen a lot of marriages break apart because of pornography, right? Because a man hasn't, or a woman, but a lot of times it's a man, hasn't gained victory in that area of his life. He's not gotten healing there. And so he continues to participate with it, even though he's married. And this, of course, creates huge problems. And so um, just, just some truth here, you know. This is an issue we got to deal with as a culture. The world is starting to recognize the problem with it and the damage done. And so there's recognition even among just the pagan world that this is a major issue for us. It's a major issue. We need to address it. We have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. It happens on Wednesday nights. It is designed to help bring healing where there's been hurts, where there's been damage done. I want you to know that God knows you. Jesus is the creator Uh, He created you. He knows you and he knows how to bring healing into your life. And you can heal. You can't just ignore these things though. We've got to do something about it. Got to get ourselves in a position and a posture to heal so that our marriages can be healthy so we can come into our relationship with health and wholeness. Um, Regardless of that issue, perhaps not being an issue in the first century, there still were problems that they had related to sexual promiscuity. And they, of course got off track in terms of the use of sex and how it was to be utilized and where it was best. And so they had to make a correction here. They had to be healed and transformed. We all are going to need that kind of work in our lives. Um, The next issue that Paul deals with in this chapter is another touchy one, it's another touchy one. Um, This one is divorce. And I know uh, some people get into marriages and go, uh, Pastor, this just isn't working. Um, This is a major problem. We're not going the right direction for a variety of issues. And and a lot of Christians ask the question, is divorce ever the answer or when is it the answer? And so um, what we're gonna see in this passage with some instruction on divorce is that divorce is rarely the right answer. Let's continue reading verse 10. But for those who are married... I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. So here's a command from God. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. That might be challenging. And the husband must not leave his wife. And so this first, first couple of verses seem to be uh, um, addressing Christian couples. And, and, of course, the admonition there is to stay married and, and work out your marriage. Work on your marriage. Don't give up. Don't think that divorce is the answer to solving a problem because God, of course, Jesus addressed this. God hates divorce. It's not what God intended. Pastor, are there some times where divorce is the answer? Yeah. I mean, if there's physical abuse occurring, if it's a dangerous situation, then of course we got to get out of that situation. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. And so there's times. But again, the extremes are not the rule. The rule is what is being said here. And so as a Christian... I know that God doesn't want me to get divorced, so again, that's to encourage me to work on my marriage. Find a solution. How am I going to make this work? Verse 12, he goes on, Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she's willing to continue to live with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her. She must not leave him. So if I, have a, if I became a Christian, my spouse is not a Christian, not a believer, what do I do? Can I get out of that marriage? They're not interested at all in following Jesus. What do I do? Well, Paul gives some encouragement here, some direction. Stay in the marriage, okay? That might challenge your thinking. Verse 14, but uh, for the believing wife... She brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Your children can be and are okay inside of a marriage where your spouse isn't following Jesus. God is at work in a special way there. Verse 15, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. And so this is probably one of the two places where divorce and remarriage is actually encouraged um, or allowed in scripture. In this case, if you have an unbelieving spouse, they wanna leave, you can let them go. And it seems to be here that you're not bound to that. You can get remarried. Verse uh, Verse 16, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? In other words, there's a missional reason that you're in that marriage, and perhaps God is trying to reach your spouse through you. If you're growing, you're maturing, then you're going to be an example to them, and you can actually bring them to Christ. There's probably no one more powerful in a person's life other than a parent, right? In a child's life, that's a powerful connection. But a spouse is a powerful relationship, powerful bond. And there's healing that can happen there, and there's, um, there's a pull or an influence that can be had. So don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart if you're in that kind of situation. Again, the early church had a lot of those. It was very prevalent. And so Paul's given instruction, not haphazardly, but based on what he's seen work and what he believes is best, and this is the Word of God. Um, God wants us to change. I know that we... Um, we just had a 12-step, uh, our Celebrate Recovery has a 12-step to it, and we just had a group of women graduate this last Wednesday. And I was there listening to testimonies, and some powerful life change testimonies. Testimonies of miracles, okay? Um, no joke, and, uh, and just powerful stuff. And so one of them was, or a couple actually, of the ladies shared that um, they were in a marriage where they thought their husband was the problem. He was the issue, and uh, um, he needed to get fixed, right? He needed to um, uh, work on himself, and he needed to grow. And uh, they said, you know, still true after going through the twelve step, right? But they also discovered there were some things that they needed to change in, areas they needed to grow in. And so sometimes we think the problem is outside of us, and part of the issue with that is we can't do a lot of what's outside of us. We can't fix another person. And a lot of people try that, and that's called codependency, right? It's another thing we deal with in CR, 12-step, is codependency, trying to control things that you can't control. That will not lead you to health. And so we've, we've got to learn that the, the one thing we can control or we have power over is ourselves. And so what can I do if I'm in a difficult situation? Well, I can grow. I can change. I can mature. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Are you in a difficult situation? Are you in a situation you, it hurts and you want to get out of? And, and again, I don't mean physically being abused. I'm talking about a difficult situation that's a struggle. That's what discipline looks like. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. That means righteousness. That means good character for those who are trained in this way. we got to go through some training. Training produces growth. Again, God isn't primarily concerned that we're happy and feel good and comfortable. He wants us to grow. If we're going to be examples for him, if we're going to live according to his culture, then we need to grow, and that's going to take some intense training. And that's okay. We need it. Um, a lot of times we do. We get to looking somewhere else for the solution. And I just this isn't out of the Bible. This is just from me, but I heard it... Um, in relation to our marriages, if you think the grass is greener on the other, other side of the fence, then water your grass, right? Water your grass and it'll get greener. It's okay to focus in on what you can do. There's probably some things that you can do differently in your marriage that will improve it. And sometimes it's not big things. Sometimes it's some little things that we can really make an adjustment in and, and improve our situation the next thing we see in this passage is that God's solution, uh, God's solutions to our problems, are different than what we might think. And uh, verse seventeen continues: Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you in, or, or has placed you, um, and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man, or excuse me, I'm not going to keep going. He gives some examples there. So this is the principle. You come to Christ, what should you do? A lot of times we think I'm in difficult situations. These are hard to live as a Christian in. I'm getting challenged. I'm getting pushed around. I'm not uh, being victorious. I need to get out of the situation, right? That's what we think. In order to get into, uh, for things to get better, I need to change, I need to change the scenery. I need to change my external situation. And yet what Paul is encouraging here, that's not the solution to your problems. The solution is you growing. You experiencing transformation. It's counterintuitive. A lot of times we don't think that. We think I got to get out of this situation to get better. And the truth is, no. He says, stay in the situation. Your job, is difficult. You're under pressure. That's the best place for you to grow. It's a great situation for you to grow in is when you're challenged, impressed, okay? Stay in it. You think getting out of your marriage is the way to succeed as a follower of Jesus. I, my spouse is just so discouraging to me. They're so difficult to be around. They're, they're challenging me. They're trying to stop me from following Jesus. Hold on. Perhaps the best place for you to be is right there so you can grow, so that your growth doesn't get stunted and you progress as a follower of Jesus. Next, we have uh, some wisdom for a time of crisis. I'm not going to go through this. Verses 25 through 31. Um, Paul basically says, uh, gives some instruction for marriages and everything because of the a time of pressure that they're in. And so it's a crisis situation, and, and uh, some of you might be recognizing maybe we are in a bit of a crisis. Maybe we do need to take some extreme measures as to our focus and perspective on life. Um, we don't want to be people that are rearranging chairs on the Titanic, right? If we're in a crisis and things are in big trouble, we need to adjust to that. We need to uh, make a correction. As Christians, we have a responsibility to be part of the solution in our world, to help when there's a crisis. The truth is the church has always moved towards crisis to be helpful. And so the last bit of this chapter encourages us to focus on what's best. Down to verse 33. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who's no longer married nor has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities. And so he talks here about our focus. And I just want to encourage us that we all can hear this message to be focused on what matters most. We are called to represent Jesus. We're called on a mission to try to impact the world around us. And certainly our homes need to be healthy and strong for us to do that. And so there's a priority list here. We focus on our marriages. We focus on our families uh, to grow spiritually, to bring about strength and health in our homes so we can help others. But we are called to help others. As a church, we have a mission statement that we're on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where we live, work, and play. That we have a goal, we have an ambition, we recognize the call of Jesus is to become people who are influencing the world around us for him. We can help others. We can point them to Jesus. And some of the best ways we do that is with our own lives, with our own marriages, with our own homes, is to point people to Jesus by the way we live. Are you living by this culture, by this culture's values, or are you shifting... To live by Jesus' culture. To live for him. To follow him. Maybe some things this morning challenge you a little bit. Um, I might encourage you. I'd love to talk to you and uh, work through some things. I'm not critical and harsh. I want to help. But I know what God's word says and that's what we got to drive towards. Because it's what's right. It's what's good. Because God cares the most about us. His ways work. And we as a culture have walked a ways away from that. We need to get back. To what God says. And so hopefully this has helped you with that, challenged you a little bit, give you some things to think about and pray about and consider as you live your life. We are the people of God. You're in church here today, so I know you're like in the 90 percentile, right, in our world. You care, you're trying to get it right. And it's hard. It's not easy for us. Just because we're here doesn't mean we get it all right and we've got it all figured out. But I want to encourage you that God wants to help you win. There is a way. Maybe you need to get involved. Maybe you need to get in uh, and talk to Mary and I or one of us. Maybe you need to talk to Pastor Luke and get in a discipleship process so that you're growing and your faith is moving. That's real essential to figure out these things and be able to live them out. Maybe you need to, I don't know, take a step, right? Take a step of action. Um, God has a plan and a path for you to succeed. Uh, I see in two parts of our life where it's easy to get distracted. One is when we're younger I hear that all the time. Young people struggle. There's nothing to do around here but drink and party and sleep around, right? And we certainly see that. And then when we get older, when our kids are gone and empty nesters and all of a sudden we got a lot of freedom, what are we going to do? It's easy to get distracted in those two places in life. In the middle, you don't have a lot of time to get distracted, right? You've got to stay focused. It's hard. It's hard. Raising kids, raising a family, like, Man, it's difficult, all right? But on both ends, we've got issues. And so staying focused in those times. As a single person, you have so much that you could do for good. You can make a difference in people's lives for the better. Or you can just mess around and do what you want and have fun and then try to heal from that, right, as you want to get married. Or you can focus in on God and the work that he has for you to do. Same thing is true as we get older. We can choose to sail off into the sunset, take it easy, relax, or we can continue to do God's work. We can continue to help the next generation have something to step into. I think we all know what the better choices would be. God, thanks for challenging us, calling us to something different. It's difficult for us when you raise the bar on us. Sometimes it seems impossible, and yet it's not. You wanna give us the power. You wanna move in us. You wanna change us, transform us, breathe into our lives so that we can rise to the level that you call us to. And Father, I pray for each one of us that you would give us that grace. Forgiveness and mercy, help us to lean on that, not to get discouraged, beat up at our failures and difficulties and and shortcomings, but to continue to hope in you, continue to look to you, and Father, just keep breathing into us. Give us power in these times that are difficult, so much around us to distract us and pull us down. God, help us to be laser focused on you, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.